Hi, everyone. Welcome to What's Your Why, a podcast that showcases the greatness of people through their life stories. Each episode will capture insight into the lives of people just like you and I, with the intention to connect, align, and create inspiration for and with our listeners. Stay with us through our What's and Why segment, where we dive into our guest perspective with some thought-provoking questions that just might be right up your alley. I'm your host, Helen Dillon, and thanks for joining us. Now let's get into it. Equestrian sport is a weird and wonderful world, and the art of judging competitive hunters and jumpers is a unique skill that only comes with hard work, determination, and a whole lot of what some would call je ne sais quoi. Many try to master it, though not everyone does. And for those that think it might be easy, you are sadly mistaken. It's anything but easy. I've been lucky enough to find space for myself in this niche market of equestrian sport. And the best part of it is getting connected with some of the most amazing people and personalities that share the same space. I'm thrilled to introduce you to my friends, Scott Fitton and Kim Dorfman, judges extraordinaire that have paid their dues, worked beyond hard, and are considered among very few at the top of their judging game. Scott and Kim will be joining many of us at the 2022 Royal Agricultural Winter Fair to make their mark and help you perhaps make yours during the spectacular 100th anniversary event. I hope you'll join me in welcoming them both to Toronto in a few short weeks, and perhaps in listening to this episode, you'll gain some insight into their personalities, unique careers, and how they do what they do at the level they do it. Enjoy. So firstly, I like to start by thanking all of our guests for being here. Thank you, both of you, for saying yes to our request to be on the What's Your Why podcast. We're here today with Scott Fitton and Kim Dorfman, large R Hunter and Equitation judges extraordinaire, very prestigious and highly acclaimed. Thank you both for saying yes and being on the show today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So I'm really interested. Scott, I know you well. Kim, I know you sort of well. But I'm interested to know how both of you basically got involved in the equestrian sport to begin with. I think I could fathom a few guesses. But Scott, let's start with you. How did it all start for you? You know, it's really interesting. As a kid, there was a pony down the street, and we all tried to ride it and stay on it. No one could. And one day, my brother, who actually started all this horse stuff, was decided he wanted to take riding lessons. And I decided I wanted to ride because I wanted to learn how to stay on that pony. <laughs> and so I took one or two lessons and took my skills down there. Didn't stay on any longer. The pony could then normal. No one could ride that pony. It was wild. But I decided to keep going back for riding lessons because I had fun doing it. Even after it turfed you? It, yes. Isn't that funny? I gave up on that pony, but moved on to this, the lesson ponies, which were a lot more fun. But I think I tried a little bit of every sport. My dad was my coach, my little league team. And I didn't last very long at that. I played right, right, right field. Okay. <laughs> I think I spent more time. I spent more time <laughs> picking daisies than I did playing baseball. Uh, only you would admit that. <laughs> I, hey, <laughs> I know my flowers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the riding just kept going from there. And then I started showing. And so I gave up everything and just went right into the horses. And are you from the north or you're from the south? I'm from Philadelphia. Philadelphia. So who did you ride with up there? You know, it was a great lady named Nancy Haas taught me at home in the winter. And then she sent me on the road with Debbie Stevens in the summer. And then also Joe Fargis helped me in the summer. Wow. 
she really got me started in going in the right direction. And we're so glad she did. Kim, how about you? Oh, Lord, I started riding when I was six. Just a few short years ago. Yes, (laughs) just a few. (laughs) And just kept doing it. My parents were very supportive. Do you come from a family of equestrians? No. Nobody rides except you? No, just me. And then showed and and did the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. Scott, did you ever show? I did. I did. Always Um, as a professional? Nope. I did it on ponies, then junior hunters, and then one year as an amateur. And then I packed up my stuff and decided college wasn't for me. And I moved to New York and took a job teaching, riding, managing the bar, do whatever I could do. And so that was a big moment for me to just decide I'm going in this with everything and I'm not turning back. And just from there, kept going from place to place and meeting a lot of new people. That's the best part about this industry is you meet so many people along the way. Everybody seems to help each other as a young professional, which was great for me. I had some great people that helped me along the way. It can have a bit of a carny vibe to it where it's like, people are not fair weather friends. You know, like I have been your friend for years and I absolutely would express that to anybody. And Kim, same with you. I would I would say, oh yeah, I know them and oh yeah, we go way back. But yet I haven't laid eyes on either one of you in probably five, six, seven, maybe even eight years. But it feels like it's like old hat. You just pick up where you left off. And I think that that gives the industry a bit of a carny vibe, but in a really, really good way. I think so. I think so. I think, you know, you pack up at one place, move to the next, you see the same people or some new people, or like I would go to Canada a few times a year to judge. And I always was looking forward to seeing you. Thank you. Hal Grave. And, and it was a great time. It's pretty cool to be able to travel and do what you like to do. Kim, what did your, uh, what did your writing career look like? Oh, that's all. I showed all through my junior years, and then I showed as an amateur for many years. Champion at Devon twice. As an amateur? Yes. That's a feat. That's a good, a good thing on your roster, that's for sure. That's a difficult show to win ribbons at, let alone be champion. <laughs> that was pretty exciting, for sure. Very. And where did you, where did you grow up? In the north? North of Chicago. And who, do you mind me asking who you rode with? Well, I rode with several people over the years, but uh, my most success, I would say, was with Ricky Harris. Okay. Who sadly just passed away. Yes, yes. Yeah, we've lost, uh, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of key people in our community in, in recent years, which is very unfortunate. Yes. Well, tell me then, how do you go from being a winning champion amateur rider to then maybe a professional to then wanting to judge? What does that look like? Well, I don't mean I got my judge's card when I was old enough to get it. So I've been at it a while. I just thought it was something I would enjoy. And obviously I do. I've been doing it forever. But uh, it's just another person's perspective. And I like it. (laughs) Yeah. How about you, Scott? Is there something that happened or like what led you to making that decision and going that route? I feel like it was the next step, you know, training, riding. What's the next step? What, what can I do that's part of this business that might excite me and, and I would enjoy doing? And I, I think the next step was judging and started doing it at a local level just to see, get the feel of it. And then, you know, slowly worked my way up. 
but it, it was a long process and it did require your peers to give you support and to also sign off on you as being qualified to do it. It's a completely different process now. I was going to ask, is it different th- now than it was back then? It really is different now. It's really hard. Uh, I, I'm very cautious who I take on as an apprentice that does the judging. I want to know the person. I want to know they have a good background and a good foundation in teaching and writing. And uh, they've had a barn of their own and they, they know what it's like to, to work hard and go from, from there. And then I'm more than happy to help them get to the next level and the next stage of their, their career as well. Do you have a lot of people reach out and ask if they can shadow? We do. We do. And there again, you've kind of pick and choose, you know, whether you're interested in pony mother whose child is done riding and then they decide they want to get a judge's card or like I said, someone that is in the business that has worked in the trenches and knows what it's like to groom a horse and take a horse to the ring and put a, a child or adult in the ring. Maybe paint a little picture for me. Kim, if you would, what would you say is the hardest thing about having somebody shadow you while you work? Well, yeah, I've gotten the point. I mean, unless I know them or they come recommended, I just, I don't take the random person that calls. I think the hardest thing is, really, if you don't know them, is trusting that the things you say will stay in the booth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Continuously. You know, I don't want to running back talking to all their friends and all their barn people about what goes on. So you're really, you know, I mean, you're careful about what you say anyway. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to take on somebody that you do not know anything about. Expect you're going to, you know, try to teach them how to do this. And Well, and everybody has a different style, too. And I can imagine that even on a good day, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, all right, so Sunday afternoon, you're in Canada, you have to get on that six o'clock flight. You've had a shitty week with 200 plus trips in your ring every day. You've got somebody shadowing you. And the last thing you want to do is be like, hi, how are you today? I mean, I'm sure that that's what you guys are great at because it's what you do. But I couldn't imagine. I mean, I would be that person that's like, God, I've been sitting with you for five effing days. You know, it's five cards open, back to back, open scoring, all of that garbage. (laughs) And you're on day five and they still haven't grasped what's going on. Yeah. So I completely understand why it has to be people, you know. And we've done it all before where we've offered it up to people that we may not have known well, but may have been referred to us that they sit down. They don't even know how to set up a card. They have never even looked at a judge's card before, which really is the reason why Kim and I have stepped back. You know, they have to come highly recommended and someone we know, because I can say before they get there, just make sure you, you review a little of setting up a judge's card or keeping track and not, you know, just making sure they have a little bit of an idea before they sit down, because some even come, come without a pencil. You know, it's it's stuff like that. They think the horse show is supposed to provide them with these things. Yeah, it's it's hard. People come completely unprepared. I couldn't imagine going to a job or going anywhere without the basics and having a little a little bit of knowledge of what I'm supposed to be doing and what's going on in the ring. But like you said, by day five and you're tired and they sit down and they still you you want to go over the results with them, they still have to grasp how it all works. It's like kind of frustrating. A or something simple mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, exactly. And doing what you have done in the past with the horse shows, 
you've seen it all as well. I mean, you've seen some of these people come through there and you never see them again. They may shadow for a couple of shows and then you never see or hear of the person again. Yeah. They realize it's not, it's not for everybody. And you have to have thick skin. I mean, people are not going to like the results all the time. But if I put the results out there, I put them out there with the idea that if anybody wants to ask me, I can give them a good reason why they're in the order they're in. That's the scary part to some of those younger people or, you know, inexperienced people that judge. They're really nervous, but you have to have an idea and a reason why everything goes where it does in, in your order. Is that a confidence that you both have learned? I mean, I would assume that most judges have that confidence because you need to be that way when you're giving the results. And especially maybe if you're throwing open scores as well. Is that something that's learned along the way or is it innately part of you? I think you get it along the way because very often no one tells you you do a good job. It's very rare you hear from anybody when you do a good job and you only hear when they have a question why they may not have won the class. So you, you kind of have to just over time it's a feel and what we liked when we rode and trained and, and all that. We, we knew what we liked when we sent it in the ring and how it went around the ring. We could see where they made mistakes. And that kind of carries over with the judging. You're sitting there you're saying, you know, that's not what I'm looking for. They may have a good trip. You reward them for the good trip, but it might not be a great horse. So you kind of have to fit them in where they belong in your order. Kim, how do you think the industry has changed in terms of the type of horses that are presented in the ring. I mean, you guys have been at this for more than five years. <laughs> you know, not trying to age anybody, of course, but... <laughs> you can age her all you want. <laughs> well, so you say. <laughs> but how has... I'm younger for now. <laughs> <laughs> for now. <laughs> I am interested to know, like, I think, again, not trying to age anybody, but in the maybe 70s and 80s, it was more about like thoroughbreds showing in the ring. They were all thoroughbreds. Yeah. And the majority of them. And the warm blood started in the, oh, I'd say mid 80s. They started becoming more popular. And then they went through a period. There were still a lot of thoroughbreds. The ones they were importing, in my opinion, were way too heavy. Mm -hmm. I used to call them cart horses. But I think the, the horses now, I mean, I think they've put enough thoroughbred blood in them or whatever they're at least they were fine they they're beautiful i mean they did figure out the breeding programs they had to refine them i mean to be in the hunter ring but yeah no there's been a lot of evolution yeah and is it just so one day you see them and one day you don't or is it just like you know you can sit down at a horse show and be like wow okay majority of these horses are warm bloods you know we see the thoroughbred now because it's sort of a standout in the crowd they're, no, they're all horses. I mean, you know, I mean, a, a good thoroughbred. A good horse is a good horse. Yes. You know, and some people, you know, that sadly, a lot of the generation now, they I mean, they've never even ridden a thoroughbred. I mean, they, would, they wouldn't even know how. And it's, it's, it's a completely different ride than the way that they ride the warm ones. But, I mean, you know, you, you evolve with it and you go with it. And there's a lot of very, very, very nice horses out there right now. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. So I'm excited that you guys are, both coming to the Royal Winter Fair this year to judge. We are excited, We're excited. too. <laughs> We've been waiting since 2020. 2020, right? We were hired in 2019 for it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hired in 2019, and thank God you're still both available to do it. Uh, it was amazing. Every year we'd get a call saying, not this year, 
not this year. And we kept saying, all right, but when it is time, are we going to be able to cross the border and come? You know, that was the next question, how it was going to be. So we kept staying up to date with, with the committee and with Peter just making sure we were ready when it was time. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful. I retired from doing the Engate about mm, probably eight years ago at this point. And Christine Rupke called and was like, by chance, would you consider coming out of retirement? And I was like, mm, only for you. And Scott and Kim are going to be there. So check. <laughs> yes, please. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to spending a week with you. Absolutely. <laughs> what I would really like to know from each of you is what is the win factor that you look for when you're judging a hunter? I mean, I know that it's made up of a lot of different factors, but what's like the one that sticks out the most? Beautiful. Beautiful, good mover. Yeah, beautiful across the ground, right, Kim? And a scopey jump. Gotta have scope. (laughs) You know, it's amazing when you see one that has all three of those, it's pretty spectacular. When you see a beautiful horse walk in the ring and then across the ground moves beautifully and then, like she said, has the scope to jump a good size jump. You really sit up and get excited for that. You know, you're rooting for it just like like everybody else. And this might seem like a very simple question, but from a judge's point of view, what is the more important gate? The canner or the truck? Canner. I'm for the canner. Yeah, that's you're what they're the going to jump from. So that's, yeah, the, that's the most important does. gate. I've heard that a lot in the past. So then I have the same question <laughs> about um, equitation riders. What is the, the win factor? Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. They're coming to the Royal Winter Fair. What is the one factor that you look for in an equitation rider? I like a soft rider. They have the correct position and everything, but their body is soft, their arm is soft. I don't love the ones that that are just too rigid through their body and their arm and stuff. I want, I want to feel like they're in the movement with the horse and not riding against it. Yeah, you want to see someone execute the course that's in front of you without really making it difficult to do. They do it with ease and finesse. It's really important, like she said, to have that, you know, the overall look and balance and soft rider. You want to see him finish that course without really any effort to doing it. So it is tried and true. Get the job done without looking like you're getting the job done. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's a good tidbit. That's hard to do. You know, I mean, that's that's really hard I don't to do. ride anymore. So I can absolutely imagine I get to, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones, I get to sit back and see the beautiful horses. And I have friends like you guys, and I get to ask the questions and get the insight. So I get I feel very, very lucky, privileged, that I get that insight from from people like you. And the courses are so technical now. They're so much more advanced than when they were. When I did some of the equitation, or they've really taking it to another level. And the horses are very sophisticated now. Well, I was going to say, so in the 70s and 80s, I don't think the equitation horse really existed until, well, probably the 80s, right? Mid 80s, late 80s, early 90s, sort of like what the derby horse has become, right? Right. You've used one horse for everything. Don't write, Kim. I mean, you used that (laughs) same horse for everything. You know, you did the hunters, you did the equitation. If you wanted to fox hunt, you took it out fox hunting. You know, you used it for a little bit of everything. And and it was fine. That's amazing. I would love to do that. Uh, yeah, I used my children's hunter. She would go out and fox hunt. She was fun. My children's hunter was my children's hunter, a low-level jumper, and an equitation horse at one point. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> See, and that's kind of how we all did it then. Yeah. We also 
show 40 weeks out of the year. No, absolutely not. (laughs) And it didn't cost. I mean, I understand that the costs are there for a reason, but uh, it costs a little less back then, too. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. I found there'd be a, a lot more. There were a lot of different levels of competition. I think it's kind of just now one big, call it the big box store type of horse shows. They don't have all the levels they used to have. Everybody takes the entire barn to one horse show as to where we used to take some kids to we call the B level shows. And then you had the other group that went to the A shows. But what they did was just create this big box type store of a horse show and you take the entire barn, um, which is completely different. Do you think that that's affected the business model a little bit? Because so the B level shows would be equate that to maybe the Trillium series here. You know, where I think a lot of models is you have those riders so that you can feed the higher end riders, I guess, in your business. And that's sort of completely gone now. Now it's almost schooling barn to a level, right? Correct. And we it does affect the judging as well, because we offer the little R for people to get started with judging. And now there's no lower level horse shows for them to use that little R at. So the only thing they can do is continue on to get their big R, but then they didn't have that whole experience of doing like a trillion level horse show and judging it and getting the experience. Now they're tossed right into the big, big shows and they either have to figure it out or they fail. They don't get that whole year or two of doing the smaller shows, building up to then getting their big R and doing the A shows. Either the little R doesn't have anything for them to do anymore. And I wonder what caused that shift. I guess just the nature of the beast, the nature of the way barns and farms operate now. Yeah, I guess it's how it is. You know, they just all, it's easier on them, I guess, to take everybody to one horse show. And then competition organizers obviously getting, jumping on that bandwagon and saying, yeah, we're going to offer everything from 0.6 to, you know, meter 40s or, or whatever that looks like. Right, because they can bring 30 to 40 horses instead of 10 to 15. And they're, they're going to collect on every level, which is fine. I mean, it's all part of the business. Yeah, it's amazing that it's changed so much in such a short amount of time. And really, it's a domino effect. I, I feel like everything in the equestrian sport is always a domino effect. You know, like this decision is made and it definitely affects this, which then affects judges, which then affects how competitions are run and then affects this. It's it's an interesting process if you take a step back and, and look at it. It is. It is. And like Kim said, everything is evolving throughout this industry through what the change in the horses from thoroughbred to warm blood and the level of horse shows and the level of judges and, and what they're able to do. You know, they're really not given the opportunity to learn a little outside the clinics before they judge the horse shows. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're struggling a little to get started. Yeah, it's hard to get the mileage that they need before they're you know thrown to the wolves, so to speak. That's exactly it, right? Thrown to the wolves. Yeah. And under the bus and driven over forwards, backwards, yeah. sideways, whatever <laughs> that looks like. <laughs> and if they do survive and they do come out shining on the other side, that's great because then they, the doors open for them. But so many, you know, struggle with it and there's really no other way for them to do it other than to just take whatever job comes their way and hope they they can make it work. I remember when I started doing, the, not started doing the Engate, but when I was, you know, fairly seasoned and I'd done it for a while and sometimes they would bring new people and they would sit with me in the booth or whatever. And I remember I would say, you just have to get yelled at enough times. 
so that you stop doing that or you learn a different way. Like it's sort of a, I don't want to say it's not teachable, but there's a certain amount of things that are not teachable, you know, that you just say, okay, well, somebody's going to yell at you for that same thing at least 10 times and then you're going to learn and maybe not do it, right? Yeah, there is a protocol to doing things. And you've seen many different people sit in the judge's booth and really don't have an idea what the protocol is when they come to each place can be a little different. So you have to be prepared. Everybody runs their horse show different. And we sit there and we just go along with the flow and we're not the managers. Exactly. <laughs> we're just we're just along for the ride. <laughs> right. Point us in a direction and give us our clipboard. <laughs> right. And, and hopefully you have <laughs> nice people to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, what's one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's thinking about, you know, launching into the judging career? Be prepared for anything because you yeah. you could anything could happen in front of you. I mean, so much does that you're just I can't believe that just happened, you know. Right. Like the kid falls off the horse jump, horse jumps out of the ring oh and God. it's running, you know, stuff like that it's running around. You have no idea what to do. They're cantering to this jump, but they knock this jump down on the way. Well, they're going to jump that one eventually. What are we going to do? Someone's got to run out there and <laughs> set it up. As they're I mean, you see unbelievable things that happen. You just have to prepare for every for everything. And you'll figure it out as you go, you know, but you really you got to be prepared. You see it all. Kim, do you have anything to add to that? Just when you think you've seen it all. Oh, no. You have not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they, you know, I think being organized. Doing the book work, I think, is the hardest part for most people. Right. Is keeping your card organized and being able to make decisions quickly. Quickly. Have you ever had to say to a gate person, can you just slow down with the next horse? I'm, I mean, that's a silly question. I would imagine the answer is no. But in the beginning, have you had people say that? No, I, I've, I've never slowed anybody down. I'm always <laughs> ready. To, I'm always like, go, <laughs> go, go. <laughs> it's closer to five o'clock. <laughs> Sometimes you do need a, a, a minute. To... For sure. And I mean, even those types of details. But if you got, you know, a multiples yeah. card, sometimes you have to say, okay, I need, just give me 30 seconds. <laughs> well, the worst is when you have six cards and two courses, right? You're like, is it the first and the second? Or is it, what are we jumping, the fourth and the sixth? Well, you can have six cards, three or four courses, depending on, you know. True. And then the wind comes and blows everything away. Oh my God. And then you're watching the horse go around as you're picking everything up and trying to remember what course they're doing. But you make it work. <laughs> and how about the, I'm going to need a bathroom break in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> like just timing it, right? <laughs> just like whatever you have a minute, let me know. Well, yeah. And I'll tell you, in the near future, find me a slot. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Exactly. Always best to be up front. <laughs> Sometimes if you wait for them, they aren't. No. And when something major goes wrong in the ring, you're like, I'll be back in two minutes. That's exactly it. Don't start without me. <laughs> While they're fixing everything that went wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's when yeah. you make a run for it. Is there anything that both of you wish was different about a judging career? So I could give you an example. When I was on the road a lot and I was doing a lot of shows and doing the Ingate, I wished that I could do all of that work in one location. The travel, the travel gets old. Yeah. Being on the road all the time is, yeah, it's hard. How long are you usually home for? Like, Scott, I know that you said that you just got home on Sunday and you're leaving to go somewhere tomorrow. So that's just two days home, right? Yes. It's hard. For me, personally, in the last five years, I stopped going to the West Coast to judge because oh, yeah. it, you know, it's a day to get out there and a day to get home and the time change. 
I'm very fortunate that I can fill my schedule on the East Coast. And so for me, as I got older and further through this career, I've made some changes to adjust to what works best for me. I like to be home on Sunday night if I can. And during the pandemic, I decided to get my real estate license because I couldn't sit still. I saw that. So <laughs> I'm like, well, I got six weeks. I'm going to study for my real estate license. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So that was something to, new to add. And uh, I like new things and keep things moving and Definitely. new. Yeah. So it, it works. I balance the two, judging and, uh, and doing a little bit of that. When I have time, I just meet my friends and enjoy cocktails. Oh, yeah. So we'll be doing some of that at the Royal, just saying. Yes, we will. <laughs> Kim, how long are you at home for? Uh, it, I mean, it varies. Actually, I'm home a couple of weeks. It, it just it varies. I mean, you might every week, you know, for a month and then take a month off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, sort of, you know, how they come in. You can try to plan. But I try to do two a month or two to three a month. Yeah. And I can imagine with no one coming up in the in the rankings, I mean, you guys are in high demand always. So it's nice that you get to maybe pick and choose your schedule a little bit. And the people you do it with, you know, we enjoy, you have a group of people you enjoy doing it with as well. So at this point in life, we can pick who we want to work with. And um, the managers are, are really good to us about setting it up that way. Yeah. And even after we go on vacation. I've made a lot of great friends with vacation. I know other judges <laughs> and we go on vacation together. It's great. That's awesome. And I love to go see Kim and Aiken. I, I always love enjoy that. spending time there. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Well, I have to say that uh, we are going to get to the what's and why segment of the show, but I just want to thank you guys both for being here and taking the time and giving us all of your insight. I mean, it's not very often that we get to speak so frankly with two judges that have have the credentials that you guys have. We're very thankful for that. And thank you for being a part of what it is that we're offering. Well, thanks for having us. I'm looking forward to judging the Royal. Absolutely. And you guys heard it first for all of our listeners. Make it happen without and now looking we've like you're making to what it happen. Some would call the very and best it's part be of beautiful. the show. Our right? segment appropriately Absolutely. named What's we're, we're and Why. We're excited. It's where to we get to it. ask our guests some questions that inquiring minds want to know. So without further ado, I bring you the what's and why's for your listening pleasure. But my first question in the what's and why segment is, who do you look up to and why? And Scott, I'll start with you. I would probably say my parents, because when I decided that I was going to pack up and move to New York, at 18 and just pursue horses. They were very supportive in the fact that do what makes you happy and do the job that you love to do. And the only thing I could think of that I wanted to do at the time was anything with horses. And they were right there to support me 100% and come and visit and make sure everything was going all right and that I, I had a place to live and everything was, you know, I was enjoying what I was doing. So I would say it would be my parents. They were very supportive all through my riding career. And, and even day to day, they were just always there. Right. Kim, how about you? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much, I feel the same way. I mean, my parents, they were, they were always there and happy for me to do it. So I think that's why parents are so important in this sport with their kids, you know, being Definitely. there to support them and make sure 
they're enjoying it and, and, and feeling good about what they're doing. Definitely. So what is something that brings you joy and why? Ah, God, that, family, friends, cocktails. Cocktails. <laughs> I second that motion. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun things happen when you're with friends and family and there's cocktails involved, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and I have a big Kim? family, so when we get together, it can be crazy. With all the cocktails. Yes, of course. <laughs> all of them. Kim, how about you? What brings you joy and why? I'm a grandmother, so my grandson. Oh, congratulations. I didn't know that. I am. He's my little pride and joy now. <laughs> how old is he? Actually, he's not so little. He's 11. Wow. But he's he's a great kid. And I'm very proud of him. So. Awesome. And is he a rider? No. No, he's a soccer player. So if you look back through your life, what decision brings you the most happiness and why? Probably when I when I moved away and had nothing, just kind of left, got in the car and drove and had no idea what was going to happen, what was out in front of me, what I was going to do, other taking the first job and the first step in a career in this business. And I think looking back on it now, you know, I feel like I've accomplished a lot more than I thought I was going to. I'm very excited on where it has taken me and where I am now. Definitely. So I would say probably moving to Aiken. Yeah. It, does it have anything to do with horses? It's very horsey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I know a lot of people spend time up there because they like the fox hunting and they like the this and they like the whole tradition of it. Yeah, no, it's it's growing leaps and bounds since I've been here, but it's it's a very horsey town and the weather is great of the time, I would say, when I moved here. And the people are amazing. They are. They really absolutely. are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's something that you feel that people get wrong about you and why? I think people feel because we judge that we're not approachable mm -hmm. and that maybe we're not interested in talking to them because we're at the horse show and then we leave. And, you know, we're when they see us outside of it, they're a little taken back about if we would say hello or not. And which I think is so wrong. I mean, I think. I think all of us, most of us are very approachable and we look forward to talking to people in this business and anybody who may be riding or showing. I think it's how they look at us and how they perceive us as, as a judge, even in, in the, the ring judging or outside of the horse show. Do you have a different answer to that, Kim? No, I actually, I totally agree because it's, well, it's drilled into our heads and to their heads. You know, we're not supposed to talk to each other. We're not, you know, and it's to the point, you know, they don't even want you to look at one another, which is silly. That people do feel, even you know, when we're outside of it, that we're we're not approachable, and that's that is not the case. Yeah, definitely not. Who would you like to hear on what's your why as a guest and why? With everything, you know, it was so sad with the passing of the Queen, and it, I I watched everything. I was I was really moved by the celebration of her life and and everything uh, we heard and learned, and and she is connected through the royal, which her, the royal family being a part of the the Royal Horse Show. I would say, how about Princess Zara? Oh, that's a good one. Wow. Look at you go. Right. <laughs> Princess Zara Phillips, an inventor, an Olympian. <laughs> yeah, silver medal. Silver medal. Yeah. Look what you know. Do you have her people like in your Rolodex? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Helen, oh, I know you fun. well enough to know if you want something, you'll get it done. I'll get it done. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies the truth. 
right? She's not afraid to walk up and sit right down at that table and make conversation. Hells no. Uh-uh. <laughs> Where, how do you get anywhere in life? Right. I hear you. <laughs> so, Kim, who do you want to hear? Zara Phillips and? Well, I can't top that, certainly. But um, I don't know if you had Linda Andrasani on, I think she would be a good one for we you. We have guys. not. And you know what? She would actually be a very interesting conversation. Yes, she she's she's got great stories and she explains things great. I think she would be a good one. And has had a very uh, interesting life as well. She's got lots of stories to tell, I'm sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, like I, I say to everybody, I'm going to have my people call your people or, you know, somebody's going to call somebody to get all the hookups and the connections organized and we can actually, you know, maybe influence one of those people to say yes to us. But in the meantime, I will also close by saying thank you very much again. I'm thrilled that you guys are both coming to the Royal and I have the opportunity to work with you again. And I'm even more thrilled. I'd like that to thank everyone for joining today. us for this episode of What's Your Why. Our listeners Thanks guests, for having and our sponsors us. too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media Production.